Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello, and welcome to This Spiritual Fix, episode 19, season three. Today's episode is You Blipping Deserve to be Love, where we talk about how do we distinguish between what is us going through our shadow, what is abuse, etc. Stay tuned for a good conversation. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Ritzi. Hi everybody, I'm Anna. And I'm Christina. And you're listening to This Spiritual Fix. (laughs) Anyways. Yeah, this is actually still us. So, is this your first episode with us? It'll be an interesting one. (laughs) It will be. It will be. And it's also, it's so fascinating how things just arise in our conversations and in our interactions and in our experience with the external stimulus of the world where we're like, hey, we should talk about this because this this has meat. Yeah. And if you do like our podcast and you haven't listened to the Primal Wound series or the Drama Triangle series or the Mother Wound series, we highly recommend you go visit season one, season two, and the Mother Wound in season three because... We kind of integrate those three major topics into a lot of our podcasts. So we're going to use language going back to those previous episodes when we talk about certain wounds and certain drama triangle stuff. And it would just be good to kind of, if you like it, if you like our podcast, to educate yourself that way so you can can understand us. And you can listen to it on the apparent level, which may be, if you're going to go listen to all of them, it may be good to listen to it on the apparent level, which is the level of just educating yourself as opposed to necessarily doing all the shadow work back to back to back. Like we space them out for a reason because we experience them before we tell you guys about it. So spacing them out, if you're actually going to go do the work is probably a good idea. But yeah, you don't want shadow work fatigue, which right. is where you over and inundate yourself with shadow work. Right, which is why you can tell that we go really deeply into a shadow work thing about once a season, right? Like So like Anna's saying, the primal wounds, even though we did all the primal wounds, that was like five different pieces of massive it was fucking hard. It was fucking hard, but yeah. we took some breaks in right. between. Right, but apparent reality. What am I talking about, Anna? When All right, I say so that? when we talk on this spiritual fix, we talk about four different levels of reality. So I just kind of wanted to go into that a little deeper for any new listeners and for any old listeners, just kind of refresh your memory. So we have so many levels of reality. How many levels of reality will we probably have? Well, if you're talking about dimensions, there's about 12. But if you're talking about levels of reality, it's like, I mean, it just depends on if you're looking laterally or forward yeah. or multidimensionally <laughs> or, oh my God, it's infinite. So Ram Das, who is a enlightened teacher who is now deceased or has left his body, as we say in spiritual people talk, he said one of the great ways to become more aware is to be aware at any given point of the two different levels of reality, of two different ways that a person exists in reality and he gives three like he says they're basically radios and you have different channels i like to talk about four four different levels of reality just because i think there's a radio channel that he didn't really go into when he would talk about this so i will give you the ram das radio station frequency basically but with our terminology and then add a new one Mm -hmm. okay so let's say these four radio stations the radio station number one is the apparent truth so on the apparent truth let's say you have a man who got in a fight and beat someone up and is now in prison. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. Okay, that's the parent level. A parent level is this man murdered this man, he's now in prison. Yep. Okay, on the subtle level, we have the child of a single mother whose father abandoned him and at one point his neighbor sexually abused him and he had all this pent-up rage and then he got into these certain patterns and these certain friendships and then he met this person and this dynamic and this dynamic happened and then suddenly he killed him and now he's in prison. The events which led to all of that, if you're looking at it from a more subtle understanding, you can see like exactly why everything came to be because of the patterns, okay? So it's like a little bit layers deep of looking at say, birth order and environmental influences and psychological influences and patterns, right? Yeah, so it's more like motive, like in a longer term scale in some ways, right? right? Yeah. And you could say that like your astrology sign is more subtle or your birth order or your human design your or human your design or information your, sorting, your NLP stuff. You yeah, know? or like even the country or the religion you were born into, like all the different kind of like- Cultural influences. Yeah, different- Unseen forces. Unseen forces, right? Yeah. So then we could say the deeper reality, which Ram Dass doesn't talk about, but I'm sure Ainsley McLeod would or in other past life people which would say, well, you might have a soul plan here. So maybe in a past life, this guy was murdered by the other guy. Mm -hmm. And so now it's his turn to experience what it's like to be the murderer and live with that kind of guilt. Or maybe, you know, he had a life lesson that he really wanted to learn and he signed up before birth to come onto this planet and eventually murder someone so he could experience what it's like to be in prison because in a previous life he had been a prison guard. Or we don't know what, but there might be a deeper level of reality which would explain the behavior that we don't even know unless we do like deep fucking regression or hypnosis. Right, so it's multi-life. Basically, you're, you're going from the contents, the second level being the contents of what has happened in this life to the third level which is what has happened over the entire soul's journey right sort of thing right okay. and then you have other radio stations or mm -hmm. levels of reality that i don't even know about yeah. that i don't even know how to get to and then you have ultimate truth we're going to call it ultimate reality which is like we are all one we are all drops in the ocean and the ocean is a drop in the water and we are all one and everything's okay kind of fifth dimension stuff or twelfth right. dimension well, stuff. well it's right right so and we've referred to that as well as to the zero state because the basis of that being the fact that if we think of reality as linear then we're like you're in the zero dimension and we're sitting in three-dimensional reality but we have an awareness of four-dimensional reality and then we all try and get to five and we're trying to get to 12 but the whole point is that 12 is actually zero 12 is actually getting back to the start right again right where you're collapsing the separation that exists everywhere in the world and you're collapsing it back down to that same original point it's not even a point source it's just like the right. unending lovey Ness. Yeah. So, and I think that it's really important for us to talk about these different layers of reality because like Ram Dass said, it's good to always remember yourself in one of the other realms of reality whenever you're dealing with anything. And I think that's true, especially in love, which is what we're going to talk about today, love relationships, is that for some of us who do see the deeper level or the subtle level or even the ultimate level, it's really hard when like, hey, he forgot my birthday on the apparent level, but I am aware of the fact that we are ultimately all one. So should I even get upset about this? You know, so right. it's like, it's kind of funny because it kind of, when you are aware of the other levels of reality, it's really hard to kind of know what's quote unquote right or wrong on the apparent level, yeah. I feel like. You know what I'm trying to say? I do. It's like you can bypass what's really happening because you can see other layers of reality. Right. So so this is a question that came into my mind that the guys wanted me to ask. If a parent level is one, if you were just going to say really easy, a parent level is one, the uh, awareness of, of all the influences in your life is level two, level three is your awareness of multiple lives, longer timeline, level four is ultimate reality, right? What is your commentary in your own mind about apparent reality? Is that like 0 0.5 or is that like 1.5? You know what I'm talking about? Or is that just one? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, like, like. I think that you have the apparent reality voice and then you have the witness. So the witness would probably be subtle or deep. Okay. And then the apparent reality voice is like the chatter. Okay. I think we have different voices. Right. So the judgment of it. So like, so basically like on the apparent reality, this happens in this, you know, like this person kills this person and then they go to jail. Right. And then there's like the judgment that happens of all those different things is something that exists in the apparent reality. Right. I guess it's just in one, it's just kind of all encompassing one. I know that sounds weird, but the reason I make the distinction is because like, I think that you're right, that they each have voices. And so for me, when I like think about what we characterize as the monkey mind, those are all kind of existing in apparent reality, even if it's like, 
like apparent reality isn't fact-based is kind of what I'm trying to get at. You know, like it, it's like physical reality, but there is still a commentary that exists on that level, even if it's existing in your mind. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Or am I just, she's looking at me like I'm crazy. I don't, I'm not following <laughs> you, but I, maybe listeners are. I'm not, I'm not getting it. So basically the idea is that each level of reality has its own level of understanding and commentary that exists within the mind. So basically there's like a package of... Unconscious or conscious thoughts. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Like so a I think lot the parent of, level yeah, is like, the conscious voice and the unconscious stuff is, is the more deeper truths. Right. So like two, three, you're getting more into the subconscious and the fact that it's not like the voice that's talking in your head. Whereas like the apparent reality is that your voice is telling you that this is a bad thing that's happening to you on the apparent level. Right. So that was, that is my whole point is they basically, basically all have accompanying right. voice voices. And on this podcast, we try never to really bring up politics or things like that because we want everyone listening to feel welcome, regardless of where you fit on the political or social spectrum. We want everyone to feel comfortable because we don't want anyone to not feel like they could listen to this and, and grow in their spirituality. Right. And But I just wanted to kind of point out kind of this dichotomy in people who are very, quote unquote, spiritual and, and saying, I'm not getting the vaccine because, you know not getting COVID, it's it's all in my mind and like I can control my mind and I'm not gonna get sick because my mind is 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 stronger than this illness. So that would say that's somewhere in between two and three, let's say, you know, mm-hmm. this 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 that kind of thinking. Yeah. And I I, on the other hand, say I'm like, yeah, I can understand that yes, with our mind we can overcome cancer. And yes, if you do the right maybe hypnosis, you can cure that tumor miraculously and you can fix that whatever, 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 because the mind is stronger. But we, since I live on the apparent reality the most of the time, and probably 99% of the people I interact with in my world operate on the apparent level, I'm getting the vaccine because the vaccine lives on the apparent level. Right. Right? So it's just kind of like, I just wanted to show like there's an example of how some of the decisions people are making based on where their consciousness is like, yes, my consciousness can jump into level three or often jumps into level three only in deep meditation. Right. But like, yeah, I can go back and forth between two and three pretty easily and one, but like I mostly probably spend my life in one. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to therefore follow the rules of the one where I am going to wear seatbelts and I am going to get a vaccine and I am going to lock my doors in the parking lot. But you know, I know someone you know, we can all probably say we know somebody who operates a lot in living in, you know, two or three, and they're just like, I'm not going to wear seatbelts. I'm not going to follow these rules. I'm not going to get a vaccine. I'm not going to go to the hospital if I get sick. So the point being is there's all different ways you can live in reality. And some of us like me are like, well, I mostly live in apparent reality. So I'm going to take apparent reality right. uh, decisions. And make I, decisions. And I'm of the slightly different bent, but similar in the sense that I'm risk averse in general. So I will usually do something that covers all three of my bases. Like I'll do something in apparent reality and then I'll do it in the subtle realm and then I'll do it in the even more subtle realm. And I'll just like, I'm going to make sure that I do a past life regression to make sure that this, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm more into covering all my bases in the sense of like, but I think that there's also so many levels of complexity when it comes and, and we're not going to get into the issue issue of vaccines in particular, because there are people all over the spectrum. Right. That was um, just a really good example of like how some people make their decision based upon where their conscious voice is mostly coming from. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, but my, my main point being the fact that like, you know, whatever decision you need to make is being so influenced by things that are happening on the apparent level and, and things that are happening on the subtle level that wherever you end up is where you're supposed to be. But yeah, so so the point being that like, I think Anna, you have a good point in the sense that everyone's gonna have a different view of this reality and it's gonna serve you in whatever way you end up on that end of the spectrum, you know, like on whatever part of that spectrum that you end up on. And I also- And I would like to, well, and I would like to add that just keep in mind when you are making your decisions that you are, dealing you are probably interacting with people who do live on the apparent truth level most of the time and it might be kind-hearted well that's social contracts that's what i was kind of trying i didn't get into is the fact that like apparent reality has so much complexity because it has the individual apparent reality and then it has the social and community of you know what i mean like you can kind of go out in all directions i mean but it's also really important for us to realize that that as much as we want to welcome everybody, we, we also may not be the answer for everybody too. So that's also good to know. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely. We don't know what the fuck we're doing most of the time anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, one of the questions that we wanted to ask in today's episode, which is you fucking deserve to be loved, is the question of are you being abused or have you put yourself in an abused relationship mm-hmm. or are you being supportive? Right. And this came from, can I say yeah, where, yeah. Or the origin of this? I did a TikTok uh, a month or two ago. And it was on rejection sensitive dysphoria. And it was it was a response to somebody being like, well, if you're a partner of someone with rejection sensitive dysphoria, like, what would you recommend? Like, what are the warning signs? Like, how can I like help deal with this? And can you tell what that is first? Yeah. So rejection sensitive dysphoria is a condition that people, often people who are neurodivergent have are more likely to exhibit in the sense that they're very they're extremely sensitive to rejection. Not only that, but they also tend to see things as rejection that other people wouldn't, which is kind of, you know, it's, I guess you could say that's an oversensitization to it in general. That's the, the thing. And as a result, you can have two different things. One is you can have a, a flight response in which you basically completely withdraw from a relationship or a conversation or an interaction, or you blow up in crazy anger, which is kind of the way that I've exhibited it in the past of just like being irrationally angry very suddenly. And it feels like it's coming from nowhere. And what ended up happening was that when I was talking about this on TikTok, a lot of the comments that came out of it were... This sounds like an abusive relationship. This sounds like an abuse... The, you know, the person who's having to experience a partner with RSD is being abused, is being abused, and they need to leave the relationship immediately. And there were a lot of people who were neurodivergent and who experience RSD who were like, this feels terrible. Like, I feel like I don't deserve love because you're basically telling... Because the commenters were saying... Yeah, the commenters were basically saying leave this person right? yeah which is which like is if also, someone has yeah. adhd and experiences rsd then then they shouldn't be in a relationship right they don't deserve love because they're going to be toxic and abusive to whatever which is also very colonialist therapy of like what we were talking about what we've talked about this idea that like you're just supposed to cut out people in your life as opposed to like finding community-based solutions for for how to find this and recognizing that some people do have different mental patterns, right? I don't even say mental illness, different mental patterns that make it so that they may, may be difficult. They may feel difficult and present challenges to a relationship, but that doesn't mean they don't deserve love, so. Right. Was that too much? No, no, okay. that's great, that's great. So yeah, what we wanted to do here is, is in the first part of this episode is to pose, I should say, seven questions to ask yourself if you are being supportive or are you being quote unquote abused, right? Right. Because if you are with someone who is neurodivergent or someone who has a lot of shadow work or a lot of childhood trauma or an addiction or is working through their own personal demons, whatever, you may sometimes be dealing with very strong emotions or shadow work expressions, etc. And so you might be wondering, well, God, am I being abused here? Or am I just being a supportive partner? So these are the seven questions that we've come up with. And I thought what might be good is to do it kind of like how I presented it in the TikTok and just say, if you answer yes to any of these, give yourself one point. And then we'll tell you at the end what this means. So what I'm going to do here before we go through each question is I'm first just going to ask you to get out your hand. And if you answer no to any of the questions, raise one finger. If you get a no, raise one finger. Okay. Question number one. Do I feel like I have a choice to be supportive or not? Lift a finger if your answer is no. Is my partner aware of the problem and committed to self-growth? Lift a finger if it's a no. Am I allowed to make mistakes? Lift a finger if it's no. Overall, are there more good times than bad? Lift a finger if it's no. With exception of major life stressors, do we equally feel like we support each other? raise one finger if it's a no. Do I feel like I have to tiptoe around my partner's shadow in the relationship? Raise a finger if there's a no. And then this is the one that if you have to answer no, you're going to raise three fingers, okay? Mm -hmm. Do I feel safe with this person? And this safety might have to do with finances, your physical safety, or even emotional safety, that you're, you're, you're safe to express yourself emotionally with them. So for this one, you will raise three fingers if you get a no. All right. So look at your hand and count the number of fingers that you have up. So now looking at your hand, if you have raised two or more fingers, we would say yellow flag, meaning 
You yeah. might want to self-reflect a little more about this relationship. And if you've raised four or more fingers, we will say that's a red flag. Right, right. And what we can say for that is we're going to go into them and we're going to talk more about the subtlety of what they actually mean too. So obviously you've gotten your gut reaction as to whether or not these are the case. And maybe you can reassess at the end based on when we actually explain what we're talking about in these specific circumstances. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'll do the first question. So the first question is, do I feel like I have the choice to be supportive or not? So to give a better idea of this is, let's say that your partner has a bad day at work and they've come home and they're in a really bad mood and they don't feel like doing their job, which tonight was their job was to do the cooking. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's say, okay. Do you feel like you have the choice to be supportive or not? Like you could be like, well, fuck this. That's their problem. I don't really want to deal with it right now. I'm going to go out to eat with my friends or I'm going to order takeout or I'm just going to, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever. Like, do you feel that you have a choice Mm -hmm. or do you feel like you need to stop what you're doing and, and comfort them and do their task, which is to make you both dinner or whatever, whatever, whatever. Do you feel like a choice? Now, definitely, if you love the person, you might definitely feel like, okay, well, I'll do the task for them and I'm going to sit out my normal TV show watching tonight or whatever and and be with them and listen to them. That's fine if you want to do that, but do you feel like you have the choice to make the decision? And so the interesting flip of this that we also have to point out is that if you have a tendency for codependency or rescuing as a thing or being a quote unquote empath, you may choose to not give yourself an actual choice and say, well, I have to do it. Right. Right. And that's really true. Right. So it's a really fascinating flip side is that a lot of these things are self-imposed abuse. Right, right, right. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Cause your partner might be fine. Yeah. You may be projecting that the kids are going to starve and that, and that may be your food issues. You know, using this as an example, right? This may, that may be your food issues. You may have a mother wound part of you that is just like not wanting to, you know, not have food or you feel financial, you're, you're self-imposing financial restrictions. So the point being that you also, this is also an opportunity for you to recognize that this could be a form of self-abuse that you could see that there are dire consequences to you not, you know, to not having a formal sit down dinner or there are dire consequences to you going out and financially doing things. And that is a form of self-abuse and it is not actually your partner. Your partner does not have those same strictures. So be sure to ask yourself first as to whether or not you are imposing this limitation or they are. You know, I'm going to give you a funny example. So if you take the Ainsley McLeod past life characteristic soul type quiz on his website, it tells you like, what's your soul type? So Mm -hmm. the one that I got was I'm a, mostly a spiritualist and a caregiver, which, which means spiritualist means I'm really into the spiritual path. And then the caregiver, meaning I'm going to seek a career where I take care of others. Hence I'm in healthcare and I love taking care of people. Like I love feeding my family. I love taking care of my family, taking care of my home, yada, yada, yada. So I have a lot of caregiver traits and what is, and he says in one of his books that what is one of the, the downsides of being a caregiver is self-neglect. So like in this question, do I have a choice to be supportive or not? Because I inherently just am more of a caregiver type, I have a really hard time not being supportive when someone's in need. And I'm going to give you a funny example. Before Christina and I came on this little mini trip that we're having to record all these episodes, my husband injured his foot. And I was packing the bags to leave the house and I'm getting ready to load the car. And he usually would load the car for me, but his foot was injured. So he couldn't. I said, how's your foot? How's your foot? He's like, it's fine. And I was like, it's not fine. I can see like your brow is furrowed. Your face is grimaced. There's tension in your jaw. Like you're not fine. You're lying to me. And I can look at your foot and I see it swollen. Like you're lying. And, and he goes, yeah, I don't want to say that it hurts because I'm scared if I say that it hurts, you're not going to go on your trip. You're going to want to cancel it and stay back and take care of me, which he's totally right. Cause he's taking care of kids and he's not able to walk and he's in pain. And like, I really felt like I needed to just maybe cancel the whole trip and, and, and stay back. And he's like, I don't want you to support me in this. I'm going to be fine. I will take some pain medicine. I'll rest my foot. We're going to order takeout, like just go. But that was an example of like, I definitely have a choice to be supportive or not. And he, as my partner had to lie to me because he knew that I will, I will impose the no, even though I don't need to. You basically take away his autonomy. You take away his ability and he has to be duplicitous 
right? He has to lie in order to make it so that you don't take away his autonomy. Like, it's a really fascinating thing, right? Like, Isn't that fa- fascinating? It's totally fascinating, right? This is where we get into the nuance of, like, maybe that finger that went down, there's more complexity to it, right? Right, right. Yeah. Okay, number two. All right, so is my partner aware of the problem and committed to self-growth? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> so we did an entire episode about 10 things to do when your partner's not doing the work, Right which covers the whole thing of like, you've actually made the decision that your partner's not doing the work, right? And even if they are doing the work. Yeah, right, even if you are doing the work, you may spots. be going at a snail's pace. And and I have to bring up the story of you and Eric that like was such the amazing wake up call for me in this particular way, right? Which was when you were doing the Matt Kong courses and things like that. And we've told the story on the past in the podcast, but it was basically this moment where you were having some sort of moment. You were like in a PMDD time or something like that. And Eric, oh. Eric comes up to you and he's like, he's like, yeah, I'm telling the story for you, but I don't know if you want to tell the it. The one where he said you were having more pain? Yeah, yeah. Like I I'm, basically blew up at him because he went out to dinner at my favorite restaurant with this quote unquote spiritual teacher who has a lot of narcissistic parts and abusive yeah. parts. And I was very upset that he went there. And I was really mad. And he, he said, he's like, you have more pain in you than anyone I know. And if you want to throw it on me, you can. And I'm here to take it till my last breath because I'm in this for the long run with you. But I hope for your own sake that you realize that your pain belongs to you and it's your choice. And when you decide to own it and heal it, you'll stop throwing it on me. Yeah. Essentially, that's what he said. You were married for how long before you had that conversation? Like, were you in, how long were you in a relationship before you had that conversation? God, I can't do the math. Why are you doing that to me? <laughs> <laughs> Estimate. It doesn't okay, have to be. 10 years. 10 years. You're, you're in a relationship for 10 years before you had that level of realization about your stuff. So before that, right? Like For bef- 10 years, he took my beatings. Exactly. That's my point. So my point. Oh, and he still does sometimes. Right, right. Of course. And my husband does the same thing. So I'm not just pushing this on you. I'm basically saying that, like, you know, when it comes to is my partner aware of the problem? Like I have fucking learned more in the last year of doing this podcast about myself than I have in the entire 38 years prior to that. Right. (laughs) Even though I have literally been on a spiritual growth process the whole time. And a lot of the things that I've done, like rejection, sensitive dysphoria, right? Like a lot of the angry outbursts that I have, like I, I do a lot of self abuses about that. And someone looking from the outside may be like, oh my God, that's so terrible of her. But like, my husband's still there. I like, and it's, it's a continual process of growth. So the reason I say this is because there's not, this is not a binary decision. This is not like, I'm aware of the problem and I'm committed to self growth. So if you want to be aware of the problem, we all have shadow work and we all have varying degrees of shadow work and we all have access to different levels of it. And it may take you being 10 years in your relationship. I mean, I was in, I was in my relationship for not, not much less than that before I came to all the realizations I have in the last year, even though I was continually on a process of self-growth. So my point being that like being aware of, of your weaknesses and working towards fixing them is kind of the essence of what we're trying to do, but recognize that there are different realizations and insights that happen in that journey and some may be more significant than others and everyone's like on a different pace like you were saying some going at a snail pace yeah but i think that there's light at the end of the tunnel if they're on that path if they are in complete denial they're like there's no problem at all this is all in your head i'm gonna gaslight you Eh, red flag yeah but 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 for them to be willing to see that there is a problem. You know, can I give the example of the ayahuasca thing as my example of this? Mm-hmm. So I keep referring to this spiritual teacher who secretly has a narcissistic and abusive parts uh, as an example of someone who I don't think is trustworthy. And I was interested in visiting a shaman who does ayahuasca ceremony, but her teacher happened to be this person. Mm-hmm. So basically, I I haven't done it, and I'm not opposed to it, but I was curious about doing ayahuasca with a shaman. So we had an interview in which I asked her, I said, you know, I'm really curious about doing this, and I wanted to know, though, what are your beliefs about Mr. So-and-so? Because in my understanding that he's a very abusive, dangerous person, but he is your spiritual teacher, so I just wanted to get some insight about that. She goes, he's not abusive, he's not a bad person, Therefore, I don't think it's going to be a good fit because you need to do ayahuasca with a shaman that you feel safe with. Mm -hmm. Okay, fast forward 
I don't know, a year. She came to the same realization I did. And now maybe I might do ayahuasca with her one day, you know, mm -hmm. in which I would love to talk about it on the show. So there's that. The point being, if I had come to her and said to her, I think Mr. So-and-so is, is a dangerous person. And she had said to me, you're right. He is a dangerous person to some people. And he does display these narcissistic tendencies. And he can have a narcissistic part. However, I can put that aside and I can focus on the good parts of him. Okay. But the fact that she couldn't see it to me was was my red flag so i therefore i therefore couldn't do it with her if she, even if she, if she had just said yes he has narcissistic tendencies i'm aware but i can look past it and focus on the good i would have i would have done the ayahuasca with her because i would have she would have been as we say in this is my partner aware of the problem committed to self growth it doesn't mean they have done the work it doesn't mean they have done the growth it doesn't mean that they've come to the end of that tunnel but just to be aware of it is the important part i think and the right. safe part of it that's what i'm trying to say no it makes perfect sense it's kind of like imagine you have a blind spot and if like the best way to, 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 we could almost sum it up with being like, if your blind spot sits on your own responsibility in the relationship for causing conflict, if you can't, if, if your partner cannot see their purpose in this, that's, that's the red, that's the flag, right? You know, is like, is if they're just, they can't even see, they can't, they haven't even begun the first step. Right. So I guess, I guess number two, instead of saying, is my partner aware of the problem and committed to self-growth, we could say, is your partner worshiping their blind spot? <laughs> yeah, their blind self. Or, or is your partner? Is your partner? Does your partner see their role in the conflict and and their behavior and their conflict right. and, and and your interactions in your relationship? Yeah, and not to toot Christina and I's horn because we can be total pain in the asses to our partners. <laughs> yeah. But like when I am in my PMDD and I am being a total bitch or a total asshole to my husband, he knows that I know that I am being an asshole and that I don't like it. And there's plenty of times where I've been a total asshole and I'm like, I am so sorry that I'm causing this fight. I don't want to, but I can't see past it, you know? Yeah. And I feel like him just seeing that I want to get out of it gives him the hope to stay with me through this shitty stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's brilliant. And that's really brilliant. Like, and that's, and, and I could say that's, I get to that point in my arguments too where I'm just like, I really want to get really fucking angry about this, but you know what? I'm recognizing that I actually just need to off-gas <laughs> all of this emotional energy that's stuck in my body, and I want to direct it at you. Because you're easy. Yeah, because you're easy and because you're, you're going <laughs> to... And, and, and that's that's the drama triangle. Like, go back to season two, and you can say, like, that's the drama triangle. It's this addiction to using other people as the fodder for releasing your emotional energy, as opposed to just releasing it without an, a direction or without an opponent. Right. I love that. Yeah. Okay, number three, am I allowed to make mistakes? This one's a pretty straightforward one, which is basically like, yeah, your partner can make mistakes, but are you allowed to make mistakes? Because are they holding you to an impossible standard? Are you not allowed to mess up? Are you not allowed to come home late? Or whatever it is, you know, are you allowed to fuck up on your chores that you've distributed? Are you not? I think that's just a very easy one. It's basically double standard kind of thing. Right. And again, this is one of those really important ones that you need to look about your own self-abuse. Are you the one who says that you can't make a mistake and are you projecting it onto your partner? Good point, good point. Overall, are there more good times than bad? This one, I have so many feelings about. <laughs> okay, I made this list up, so you can like also say if it's a stupid question. I don't think it's a stupid question at all. I just think it's a really, really, like if I had to say there was one thing on here that is the question, right? In some ways about like... The quintessential question? The quintessential question about whether or not that like... Okay, on the apparent level, in apparent reality, like we should always aim to be in relationships where people with are more good than bad, you know? But then again, on the subtle level, what the fuck is good and bad? Like what the fuck right, is, you know, right, what, right, what right, is, right. what is good and bad and what does it mean? But I also think that like, like I've had a couple of times in my life where I've definitely had relationships with people that have gone south and I've kind of examined it and been like, okay, why did this go south? Like, what, what, what went on with this relationship? And ultimately, there's usually some sort of betrayal. There's usually some, one of the wounds that's been triggered, right, for some reason. But in long-term relationships that kind of fall away, I think they normally fall away because the bad times are more than the good. Okay. Right? Yeah. Like, I, I honestly think that, like, 
in a very simple way, if you're in a relationship and it feels like the amount of emotional energy that you go into is more dedicated to diffusing trauma or drama or, or well, no, drama or diffusing arguments or, or what one could construe as recovery right. from stress responses, right? Stress responses and their recovery. If the majority of your relationship is in that position, then you could see it on the subtle level is they are a gift because they keep bringing up your shit. Or you could say, okay, maybe, maybe this isn't necessarily where I need to be because this person is triggering a whole bunch of my stuff. And if I could change my boundaries with this person, right? Not necessarily cut them off entirely, but if I could change my boundaries or create healthier boundaries with this person, then maybe I could have more time in rest and I wouldn't continually be in a stress response cycle and therefore, therefore, I would get a chance to get my feet on solid ground before having to dive back into the deep end of shadow work. Like, yeah. if, if you're spending 80 to 90% of your relationship in shadow work, that's a thing. Right. You Unless know? you're choosing to, but your own shadow work, not like in response to them triggering you, maybe. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All right. Number five, with the exception of major life stressors, do we equally feel like we support each other? This is a really interesting one for anyone who has had a pregnant partner or a partner with a mental illness or chronic health problems because you kind of got to like take that out of the equation because if your partner does have a chronic health problem or a chronic mental illness or they're the one who just lost their job or their parents died or whatever, they're dealing with some temporary or chronic Mm-hmm. meaning, you know, repeated issue, like they probably might end up getting more support in the relationship. But with the exception of those events, can you say that you both are equally get the support? And like a great example of this is this very interesting, is this very sim- simple concept, and I forgot what it's called, but it's it's when you feel resentment because you can't take the time off being sick that your partner can. Right. Right, what is which that is called? it's a form of I I sent you a a, a YouTube about it. It was about yes. it was about dad sickness versus mom sickness. I think that, that there has been a tendency for us to be like, well, this relationship isn't giving things for me, so I'm going to leave. Right, so it kind of it ends up being almost a very like kind of self centered or narcissistic thing. Almost everything in the whole world is effectively self centered or narcissistic. It's very solipsistic which is a fancy word for basically like a form of spirituality which says that we actually can't account for anything outside of our own experience like because I look at Anna and I'm like I think I know what's going on in her mind but I don't really and if you've read uh, or seen the show Brave New World they talk a lot about this a lot where they're all about the community and the community is everything that is a total ADHD tangent the most important part being the fact that when you have an experience Partnerships involve supporting other people, and it may mean that you're supporting someone for quite some time in the name of love, right? And that is going to be its own learning experience for you. It's going to be its own experience for you that basically says, okay, well, I may be physically supporting my partner through their illness, but the experience that I get in my own soul from doing that, from experiencing the love and being able to help someone who is suffering to ease their suffering is actually giving me something too. Right. So there's, there's more than the physical we're talking about that the support can exist on all different levels. You can have a feedback loop, right? That goes, that starts on the apparent level of you giving something on the apparent level, but you receive something on the, on the, on the subtle level. Right. Right. And so that's, that's kind of what it's important to, to look at this more holistically to say that actually, you know, I may be supporting my partner a lot more than they are physically, but I'm getting other things back that aren't necessarily, cannot be measured in the physical. And there was this great article, which I can't find, and if I do find it, I'll link it in the show notes, but it was talking about the inequity or the imbalance in relationships. It's often referred to jokingly as the man cold, where, you know, a woman and a man might equally have the same exact cold, but like the man is expected to be babied and he stops doing all of his responsibilities and he just wants to lie on the couch and relax whereas the woman when she has the same exact cold does not feel the same freedom to take care of herself or rest and she still takes care of all of her things i mean we can talk about that in terms of patriarchal privilege or social dynamics or all sorts of reasons why this or happens. mother wounds yeah <laughs> or mother wounds and why this happened but then it's again like when you're sick 
have you said have you set a game plan for when you're sick what you expect how you expect to be taken care of that i mean that's another thing to because maybe they see you getting up and around and doing all the things so they don't reach out to help because they think you're fine but like to actually say look i don't feel good and i expect for you to do this this and this because when you're sick i do this this and this mm -hmm. because a lot of us who are martyr-ish or caregiver types we will push through our illness and self-neglect and we might feel like that's our partner doing that to us but they're really not it's just that they're better at self-care yeah exactly so anyways there's that okay Number six. Do I feel like I have to tiptoe around my partner's shadow in the relationship? This one is also a really big and interesting thing. <laughs> because of the fact that I have had a number of different relationships that some of them have not turned out in which basically, especially if it comes from family who's very close, right? Who you basically have minefields. Like basically imagine that your entire, around your, your subtle body, are a whole bunch of triggers, like hair triggers for minefields, right? And one person can walk through there and they are literally not even anywhere close. Like, like imagine that like level one is your minefield. You could have 10 million, you know, you could have a thousand interactions and all of them can walk straight up to you because they have basically, they're like walking two feet above your minefield. So they'll never do any triggers. I'm not understanding. There's some people that know your buttons to push. You could say that. You could say there's some people who have their buttons to push, but for some reason this mind thing is, I'm, I, I want to try to explain it, which is that, like, Alice could walk from, you know, 10 feet away from you to you and never hit a single one of your minefields because she's basically walking two feet above the minefield, right? She's, like, floating, right? She's, just, she's coming at you at a different frequency, right? Like, she's basically interacting with you in a different way. Whereas a family member who is continually, like, who may not even know it will walk completely across that minefield and trigger every single thing. So sometimes people, particular people, have a way of walking on a level such that they're continually triggering every single thing that, that we say. So Alice can come up to you and be like, hey, you didn't do that good of a job on that thing, did you? And like laugh and you'll be like, oh yeah, that's, that's really funny. Like I get it. Alice is like laughing at me about how I didn't do something right. But if a family member comes up and says the same thing, you're going to lose your fucking shit. Right. right. It's going to trigger the, it's all of your minefields are going to go off. Right. So the point, the point of this being that like being, we all have minefields and we all have people who are really good at triggering all of our minefields. And sometimes it's just because it's that person. It's because that person should know better, right? Like that person should know not to be able to do that. Whereas Alice is like, I'm going to forgive Alice because Alice doesn't know me. And therefore it doesn't matter, you know? So it's like, you want to use the button thing. We'll, we'll pull into the button thing is like, you know, John, my partner should know better than to push all my buttons because he knows that I had this issue going on when I was a kid and, and everyone used to say that I was dumb and that I used to fail at this thing, but Alice doesn't know any better. So I'm going to forgive her. Right. So it's like, it's a very, I'm, I'm kind of getting really deep into this, but it's, it's, it's the understanding of the fact that, that we all have minefields and sometimes we get into relationships in which we think our partner should know better. We think our partner should know us to the point where they shouldn't trigger us. They right? should read our minds. Right. That we should we think that they should read our minds, right? We think that they should should be able to 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 navigate our minefield with no problem. But the question is, is do you really want someone to have to do that, to have to do a dance continually, to stop, to not touch your wounds, to not touch your soft parts, to not do stuff like that. Do you want them to have to continually waltz around you in any given way? So the reason I use like you as an example to ask you that question, like, you know, you, the listener, that question is now flip that. So this goes back to that same question, right? Of like, is your partner doing the work? Like if your partner is so sensitive that they are expecting you to do a waltz around every single one of their issues. And like, like I can't, you know, like you have to know you, if you loved me, you wouldn't trigger me all the time. Or if you loved me, you wouldn't do this. Like if your partner is expecting you to do this waltz around all your, all your buttons, around all your minefields, 
but they're not doing the work to unarm the minds. Like they're not doing the work to recognize and unarm the minds or pull you out of the place where you have to be, you know, like we're, you know, to put you on the level of Alice where they're going to easily forgive you what's really going on there. So can you summarize what I'm trying to say? Cause I think that you like, cause I, oh. that was a lot of talking and like, can you summarize, help me clarify what I'm trying to say in a summary of that? Okay. If I think that the idea being is we understand that our partners are going to have certain triggers that are going to elicit certain responses based on their personal wounds or personal trauma. Okay. Yeah. So I know, for example, how to push my husband's buttons. I know how to push each of my siblings buttons. They all know how to push mine. Mm-hmm. But because we love each other and we're committed to each other, we all decide not to do it. Mm-hmm. But do we feel like we have to tiptoe around it? Yes and no. Like for example, for example, okay, let's make up some silly one. Let's say my brother hates for anyone to wear a yellow shirt. Mm-hmm. And like you're not allowed to wear a yellow shirt in front of my brother. Okay? Now let's say well, hey, that's not a big request. He doesn't want us to wear... This is not true, by the way, of course. Okay, if my brother's <laughs> listening. This is obviously not true. So let's say I'm like, you know what? I don't really care about my shirt color. It's not a big deal. I'm never going to wear the a yellow shirt around my brother because it really triggers him. And not triggering him is more important to me than wearing a yellow shirt, right? Mm-hmm. Big deal. But then I'm offered a job as a model. And the designer... <laughs> Loves yellow. <laughs> Loves yellow. And has asked me to please wear this yellow shirt. They're going to pay me a lot of money to, to wear this shirt or something. I'm making up this as, as I go along. Yeah, yeah. The point is, I now have a really important reason to wear yellow at the risk of triggering my brother. Mm-hmm. Then I have to ask myself the question, well, what's more important? And do I have to tiptoe around him? Can I talk to him about it? Can we discuss it openly? Or do I feel like I, ha- I, I just can't? Like, uh, I, I feel frozen. I can't even take the job because of him. You know, so it's kind of like, I guess the question is, how far out of your comfort zone are you going to protect the person you love? Right, right. Thank you for that. Thank you for that clarification. Using that same example, what is your brother doing Right. to, to now, work on his yellow shirt well, Hopefully issue? my brother is going to yellow desensitization therapy. Yeah. But if he's not, and I love him, maybe I just, you know, I, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a very, there's no like clear and cut, clear, clear answer here. But I think the point is, is how often, like, are you tiptoeing around your partner's stuff to a degree that you feel is is threatening your self-expression or yeah. threatening your happiness? Because, for example, I have PMDD, as we've all known, and I can be a total asshole for about three days a month. And my husband knows that, and he does tiptoe around me. Like, in those three days, he knows, and I know that he tiptoes around me. He's very careful with everything he says. He goes the extra mile to make jokes. He goes the extra mile to bring me food and let me watch Netflix. So, like, he is tiptoeing around me in those three days, and we're both aware of it. And hopefully it's not to the point that's completely threatening his happiness, okay? If I was like that every day of the month, he may reconsider wanting to be married to me. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that this is the one that really, like when you first did the TikTok, I had this kind of really strong reaction to it because I was like, I think that my husband could easily say that I was abusive based on this list. And I was like, I have a problem with this. I was like, I was like, and I have a problem with this, but mostly around this tiptoeing one, because it was like, there are definitely times in the infradian cycle, which is the 28 day cycle that people who are menstruating experience, right? It's a different hormonal cycle as opposed to the 24 hour testosterone based one that everyone does. The infradian cycle basically says that there will be different times for for different things and since most of us are completely living out of sync with that we're forcing ourselves to work when we should be in our periods of rest we're working ourselves to do like kind of things that that are that go against that and the more we can work with that cycle within ourselves the more and we're going to be talking about this next season by the way but the more that we can work uh, on ourselves to kind of understand this the more that we can lessen the effects of that in our lives right for the days that we have in a given month in which we're, yeah. you know, doing, like, I have the same thing. I, I have the, the PMS experience and looks like I, you woke up this morning. And I was just like, I knew that I couldn't talk to you. Like I knew that I couldn't do that. And I think that those are allowed, like those moments are allowed to, to, to like, as we learn to be ourselves and as we learn to grow and as we are, you know, removing the blind spot of our own responsibility for things, it's all really, really important to do that. I think ultimately, I've had relationships where I could not talk like a normal person because everything I said triggered the person. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of question where you need to be like, 
okay, if I can't be myself and I have to be this other thing that I don't even know, I have no idea what is triggering you. I have no idea what I'm saying that does that. Right. How am I able to maintain a relationship if I'm literally hurting you all the time? Right. Maybe we should rephrase the question to say, instead of, do I feel like I have to tiptoe around my partner's shadow in the relationship to say, do I feel like I have to tiptoe around my partner's shadow in a frequency or duration of time that is beyond my comfort zone. Yeah, that, <laughs> because, that hinders my self-expression. Yeah, because I think that like, yeah, like if your spouse or your partner has a really bad day at work, you might be tiptoeing around them that day. Or they have a migraine, you know, like me and one of my friends, we get migraines sometimes and our whole family needs to tiptoe around us, yeah. volume-wise. And I think, you know, like maybe the question is, do I have to tiptoe around them for temporary, short, isolated periods? And they recover and they usually apologize, you know? That's a really important thing too, is what is the consequence of you triggering the person? Right. Right? Are you forced to sit down and endure abuse, which seems 10 times worse than the trigger that you, right. a, for, that a you TED talk? Are you given a, a, you delivered a TED talk on why you, you know, you're an asshole? Yeah. Right. And, and basically experience, because, because that's what triggers are, right? In case, in case we haven't described this enough and while describing this is that, in the way that I see triggers is that they are effectively they are effectively emotional stuck energy that has very sensitive hair triggers all around it, and it's looking for any excuse to basically release its pressure because its pressure is constantly building up, and you're kind of constantly adding to this like area within your body that is this trauma, right? That it has not been unstuck, and so if someone triggers you and then you use that excuse or if you're if you trigger your partner and then they use that excuse to yell at you for four hours because they need to release all the pressure that's built up in this trigger that is where we're saying that this is a line of abuse or a flag that is very important to recognize because they are not using a healthy they're not dispelling their energy in a healthy way they are being immature and irresponsible with their dispelling of their energy as a result of their trigger mm -hmm. All right, number seven, do I feel safe with this person financially, physically, and or emotionally? So I said, you know, put three fingers up for this one. And before we get into this question, I just want to give a disclaimer that this is the National Domestic Violence Hotline. It's 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 7233. So 800-799-7233 if the United States and hopefully whatever country you're listening from has domestic violence hotlines. If you do not feel safe physically, that you feel that your life is at risk, your children's life is at risk, your financial life is at risk, that they are abusing you financially, or that emotionally you are being abused against, or even sexually, we really hope that you get yourself in a mental state of mind that you can get help and support and get out of that situation, okay? So we want to just say that that is a very serious situation. Yeah. Let's start there. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Regarding this topic of safety, I really, really, really recommend to anyone who has Netflix, access to Netflix, to watch a series called Made, M-A-I-D. It stars Andy McDowell's daughter, Margaret Qualley, and Andy McDowell's in it too, so you have a real-life mother and daughter playing these characters. And it is a beautiful series, and it's an extremely triggering series for anyone who has been in an abusive relationship. I know of a few people who watched it and they they said that they were getting flashbacks and panic attacks watching it. So so it is it can be a very difficult show to watch, but it essentially maps the evolution of domestic violence, which usually begins with some verbal stuff and then financial abuse, which I was not aware of that financial abuse is actually one of the very first steps of domestic violence, which mm -hmm. is where your partner controls your finances. They either sabotage your job by getting you to get fired or they mess up your transportation. They withhold money from you. They keep the money in a separate account that you have no access to. Like financial abuse is one of the first ways that someone is able to isolate you and get you to be dependent upon them so that they can then abuse you further and you have no way out. Right, so they limit your freedom of choice, basically. Kind right, of. right. So okay. excellent, excellent show, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But going into this one, do I feel safe with this person? We are not experts enough to discuss domestic violence and safety. So 
I don't feel like we are the adequate resource here to really go into this question. But I think if you can start noticing early warning signs like financial abuse Mm -hmm. or maybe violence against things near you, like obviously if they're hitting you and threatening your physical safety, you know that you're being domestically violence or you're being domestic. You're being abused. You're being abused with domestic violence. But maybe you don't know because it hasn't gotten that far yet. But some warning signs would be the financial abuse, the isolation of your choices. Right, as well as the isolation of you wanting to always go with you to new places, right? Like always wanting to be with you when you go to your Mm -hmm. friends' houses, always wanting to, you know, like touch the point where you can't do anything by yourself, right? And then eventually making it so that you can't have friends come over, you can't have things like that. So physically isolating you from your other relationships. Right, isolating you from friends and family, but it can be very, very covert. Like for example, they might tell rumors and lies about you to your friends and family. So people will want to distance you from them. Like there's a woman on Instagram called Gailey Alex and she is an amazing financial woman who does house design and she tells a story of how she was dating an abusive boyfriend and he actually paid people at a dinner party to all ignore her so she went out to dinner and everyone at the dinner party either ignored her or put her down when she talked so that her self-esteem would be diminished so maybe your partner doesn't have the money to to bribe people to do that kind of stuff but they might find ways to alienate you so that you totally totally think that something's wrong with you that no one likes you yeah and they isolate you in those ways form and of gaslighting yeah huge form of gaslighting another thing that they can do is which is showed in made is before they even get to the point of of actually hitting you they might hit a wall they might throw an object near you they might punch a door they might punch a wall they might punch things near you the the domestic violence isn't on your body per se but it's near you it's a threat yeah is it's to say look at me look at they might not be aware they're doing it consciously, but it's to say, look at me, look at how strong I am. I can hurt you. If I can punch my hand through this wall, what will I do to you? So if someone is punching holes in walls near you or around you, that might be a very strong indication that they are eventually going to hit you too. Okay, so then let's go into the conclusion, Christina. Yeah, so so ultimately, guys, the reason that we said this is because kind of what I brought up at the beginning which did hurt my heart a little bit to see the comments towards mental, you know, people with mental, different mental patterns and who are neurodiverse, you know, this is idea that like, if you have a difficulty, if you have a challenge, if you have something that makes you not, if you have shadow that feels to overwhelm, if you're getting over, if you have a complex PTSD, if you have all of these different things, these are all different things that can make it so that you don't feel like you deserve love. And that can feel as if it is the resounding message that you're hearing from all sorts of people who are, you know, kind of exhibiting this, I'm just going to cut you off. I'm going to ghost you. I'm going to no contact you because, you know, you're doing this or you're being abusive in my life or something along those lines. We went through this whole very detailed list to let you guys know that that lists are good, but lists have nuance, mm-hmm. right? And ultimately creating a healthy boundary in which people can still be in relationship with each other and learn from each other, but are in a place where they feel safe and they don't feel that there is a danger to them, you know, can be a good situation in everything short of domestic violence, right? Mm-hmm. And And that ultimately... You and your shadow, every single part of you fucking deserves love. Fucking deserves love. Yes. And me, the quote queen, I want to give two quotes before we end. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love quotes. Yeah. No, I, I love the two okay. love quotes. All yeah. right. So to bring this all back home and back to the beginning, we discussed in the beginning the four levels of reality. We have apparent truth, what appears to be going on, subtle truth, which are the deeper nuances of what's really going on, the deeper truth, which might be your soul assignment of what's going on, and then we have the ultimate truth, which is that we are ultimately all one and we are all love and I want to kind of end with our focus being on that ultimate truth that we are all love and that our love comes ultimately from a place within us mm-hmm. this quote comes from Rhonda Britton you don't have to earn or deserve love you are love loving is never about how others treat you it is always about how you are treating yourself right and last one by Ram Das, of course The most important aspect of love is not in giving or the receiving. It's in the being. When I need love from others or need to give love to others, I'm caught in an unstable situation. 
Being in love rather than giving or taking love is the only thing that provides stability. Being in love means seeing the beloved all around me. Thank you for listening to this episode of This Spiritual Fix. If you like us, please follow us on TikTok at this.spiritual.fix. Have a great day. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Hi, y'all. Listening to the last season of This Spiritual Fix may have stirred up for you some awareness of how the mother wound ties into so many of our subconscious needs and desires in our daily lives. Well, we've put together a comprehensive five-week course on this mother wound, complete with meditations, journal prompts, and never-before-seen videos and lectures. This course is designed for you to heal your personal and cosmic attachment wounds, reparent yourself, and surrender to the Great Mother. This course is an intense experience for spiritual seekers, and maybe you're not ready for something that intense yet. So we've put together our version of what we call the Shadow Work Essentials course, the Mother Wound Mini, to give you access and awareness to this wound with tools to process your energy and to remember the Cosmic Mother's love for you. I cannot emphasize enough how much this work has changed my relationship with my partner, my kids, my family, and the world. It can be life-changing for you too. Go to our shop, www.thisspiritualfix.com forward slash shop for more details. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.